This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. Welcome back to another episode of We Art Tacoma. I'm your host this week, uh, Eric Hanberg, and uh, how I'm are you producer doing? Doug. How I'm, you doing, Doug? I'm doing fine. I'm I'm doing even better after listening to that interview. Yeah, we just uh, had an interview with uh, Tacoma artist Chris Paul Jordan, and I came away very inspired. Yeah, indeed. He talked about his work. He talked about uh, how that work and other work works in the community and also talked about Tacoma's international profile. I want to see Tacoma through his eyes. We sound pretty good. Okay, let's get to the interview. (laughs) Okay, we are here with uh, Tacoma artist Chris Paul Jordan. Welcome to We Art Tacoma. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you are an artist of, I would say, uh, you know, you have some distinguishing awards and things like that. Yeah, your eyes are already getting big. You didn't know I was going to go there. Uh, Foundation of Art Award from the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation, the Netty last year. Wild. Unbelievable. Those are, those are really amazing things and an amazing award. Did, could you ever have imagined <laughs> Never. Uh, when you started, started art? Oh, my God, no. Well, I mean, that's complicated because okay. I didn't want... Those things are like more studio art things. Oh. And I, I didn't like that. You didn't like that? <laughs> I didn't like, I don't like, stu- well, let me be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like studio stuff because it was so separate from the community. You know, I want to do public art because that's accessible. It's out in open space. Like people can comment on it. They can say they hate it. You know, they can throw tomatoes at it or whatever they want to do. And like with the studio stuff, it always felt like, oh, like, there's someone with authority somewhere who's going to tell you that this is good or bad. Mm. So, like the Netty Awards or like the Greater Tacoma. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. So, you know, yeah. yeah. So let, let, let's back up for a second. Uh, w- do you remember a moment where you said, "I want to be an artist of, of any kind, studio or public"? Okay. The um, I remember a moment when I was 14, deciding that I was going to do digital art as opposed to computer programming and mm. um, and and web design, which was what my passion was at the time. Um, and, you know, as a 14-year-old, you can't do two things at once. You have to, you can't be, you know what I mean? An Dude. athlete and a cook or whatever. There's they a have. lot of identity there, <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I went down the creative path um, in that aspect and um, things just kept unfolding from there. You know, it was really Kenji who... Showed me how to Kenji Stoll showed me how to work with spray paint when we were in high school, and you know putting my graphic skills with his like mural painting skills, we started doing projects around town, and things kept evolving. In but high I, school, you were doing projects around town, right? You you were starting pretty young. Yeah, we yeah. were. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> we started pretty young. That's pretty but, cool. Um, Kenji actually he learned how to paint through Fab Five. 
Okay. So, you know, um, it all kind of comes full circle in this really interesting way. Can you tell people what Fab Five is if they don't know? Yeah, Fab Five is this community organization that, you know, uses arts and creative practices as like a youth empowerment tool, you know? So like developing communities, helping young people to build communities around themselves, you know? And Kenji was like, you know, um, a young student back in the day and he kind of carried it forward by teaching me, you know, wow. even when the organization was on hiatus. So, um, you know, when I was like 19, he was 18. That was a time when the organization kind of um, was starting doing some new programs and we got involved as instructors and stuff. So but that organization has really I would say when you look at like um, a big part of why an artist like myself um and a lot of the, I would say, the the opportunities that visual artists of color in Tacoma have been able to have is because of the multi-generational work that Fab Five has done over the years and, like, shifting wow. the culture around public art here. You know, the graffiti murals was, like, not, you know what I mean? Going back to the 90s, that was, like, not a thing. <laughs> you don't just, you know what I mean? You don't uh-huh. just do that. So Fab Five was kind of pushing buttons in. And we really owe it to Kenji and I, you know, as as public artists, really owe it to like the young people in that organization who fought for 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 a decade. Was know? it was it Fab Five who did the mural on the back of the Rialto, for example? Uh, I think I remember maybe Eddie Sumlin had something to do with that, and he was an early director of Fab Five, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah, Eddie was the second generation leadership of okay. Fab, and he helped galvanize that project. It um it was the. To, I want to get in trouble. <laughs> it was the, um, <laughs> Tacoma New Neighborhood Council. Okay. And um, Kenji and I actually, cl- that was our first, you know, um, public project where we were really like using our style, so to speak. Um, and it's kind of funny, you know, because it's still like, you know, I guess what, eight years later, that's still like one of my really favorite It looks great. <laughs> it, it's held up well, too. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, you know, it was funny. I remember we were out there the night of putting the star, the stencil up for the star. There was someone sleeping underneath the canopy of Urban Grace who was like, you guys are off. It's tilted, <laughs> you know? And then we were like, oh, thank you. You know, we like shifted back. And uh, I remember the cops coming, you know, every time we we're on a lift, the cops come. Sure. Because they're just like, who are you? Right. What? There's no way this is legal. You know, no matter how many permits or think, it's just always, you know. So that happened, and I, we we really <laughs> that mural was kind of scary. <laughs> we slept for maybe like we 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 did 107 hours, wow, on site that week working on it. So it's really exciting to me that it still feels so much alive. You know, yeah. I think it was that kind of you know, 19, 20 year old zeal <laughs> that uh, you won't, you really won't find me working on a project like <laughs> with that much <laughs> around uh, the clock. Right. Like that, these, exactly. You know, these days. <laughs> so since that time you've been working on both studio art and public art, do you want to talk about any of your, your studio work, even if you're kind of uh, poo-pooing it yeah, now, oh but my just gosh. Like, like, you know, it's funny. I, I think of myself as a public artist, okay. you know, um, and even in my studio practice, trying to, it's like almost like the incubator, you know, of, of the things that are going to happen outside. Or even like um, kind of creating little like time capsules and things that will like, you know, um, just carry that energy forward. So like for me, the studio is like a space of experimentation. But like when I, when I create a show or an experience or project, 
I'm kind of trying to turn the way I think about it now is like I'm trying to turn the gallery space into a public space. Um, and for me, that's about like kind of diffusing and breaking down the barrier between like the artist and the audience. So I think of people like they're walking into a stage and they don't really know it yet. You know, that's what Colored 2017 was yeah, about. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because that, that seemed like there was a lot of studio art in there, but it was also very much an experience of some kind. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so for, was... for those who don't don't know, there was a, a – before Alma Mater was in Fawcett Hall, mm. uh, uh, you took over the Carpenters Hall for Colored 2017. Is that what the name of the show was? Yep. And it had a variety of very large-scale paintings – some smaller studio work. Some uh, there was the Pledge of Allegiance on the on the stage, but there were some holes cut out of it. Do you want to say anything yeah, else about it? Oh my it? gosh! Yeah, the pledge the pledge is still uh, the the pledge is still a work in progress. Okay. Actually, okay, <laughs> I know, I'm supposed to finish it, but yeah, it was like looming over the space. You yeah, know, you can't have like a huge pledge and like old English script, you know, looming over a cultural experience like that. You know, which was, you know, me trying to figure out after because I had studied in Trinidad um, for a semester and met a bunch of incredible poets and and visual artists and um, and filmmakers um, while I was there who just gave me this this passion, this curiosity about how could how could I create an experience in Tacoma that would help connect the diaspora like between, you know, um, black folks in the U.S. and in the Caribbean and um and the idea of like, um, you know, doing collaborations between visual artists and poets and really like just playing around with ideas of authorship. So you're walking around through the space and you don't really and all the narratives, all the stories kind of blend in together. Um, and uh, so that was a really experimental show. Um, I painted I was kind of responsible for the container. So I painted the murals around the outside. Um, and then worked with about 35 different artists and dancers and, um, you know, from around the country and Mm -hmm. in the hemisphere to, um, to include their work in the, in the project. And, um, it was, I mean, it was a, it was a wild experience. You know, you have this giant sign that says colored on it and nobody knows what it is or what's happening. And you have to walk around the side of the building. You don't really go right. in the front entrance, you right. know. Um, uh, and people are looking at art through their phones. And it's just was we were trying to do something interactive. Do you want to talk um, about that? Because because some people might not understand. So so like you had some re- like I, I reverse color or negative, uh, negative, like, yeah. like a negative painting. And then someone could use their phone to invert to, it. To invert it. Yeah, it was. It, so that was, you know, even that that was really inspired from Arnaldo James and Rodell Warner um, and Ashana Arthur. Um a few artists from Trinidad who had done a really incredible photography project using this like inversion and projection technique. And Arnold and I were doing some collages, some digital collaborations and like kept playing around with some of that technique. And, um, and so I decided one day I was like, well, let me see if I can paint one of these and just yeah. see what happens. You know, yeah. um, that was like about a year prior. And, um, you know, just for fun at one point I was like, I wonder if I could switch it back if, the colors were close enough to where if we switched it back, it would still look right. And um, and that evolved into this thing where creating an entirely like panoramic immersive space and people are surrounded by these images that are all in the inverse. But the phones like 
someone brought it up to me and it's really never been able to leave my mind because you think about like Black Lives Matter movement, you think about like our political dialogue where it is today and how radically different that is because of the mobile phone. Like mm. that device as like an intermediary has transformed the way that we see the world or has opened up dialogue and really decentralized the way that um, we understand our current like cultural moment, you know? And so um, the phone as like this decoding device of the artwork where you, you go into the accessibility features and you invert the colors and then you can see the kind of natural, um, the natural lighting. But, um, but being in that space, you're also seeing like, as opposed to white light, you're seeing black light shine on things and illuminate things, you know, and you're seeing the other people in the space with you through this inverted lens. And, you know, I think a lot about how like, you know, I think people of color and particularly black folks and, and especially black artists, like there's all these ideas about negative images being projected on you or like, um, you know, um, negative re- ideas about negative representations of black people. And it's like, what is that really, what is a negative image like outside of the context of like, you know, um, what is a negative image outside the context of, of white supremacy, really, in a way? Right. Like, what does that mean without this kind of this kind of economic and structural oppression underneath it? And so, yeah, having people play with a negative image and, and be, become a part of it um, and kind of subvert their ways of seeing themselves and each other was like this thing that that project evolved into. And it's still, it's hard to believe that. Um, that we pulled it off, you know. Um, you know, it's it was been pretty great to see. It, it was amazing, and there, there were huge canvases or wood. I don't know what you were, what you're directly on the walls. Okay, yeah, on the walls. So those wow. are twenty feet tall, um, and yeah, it was about seven, a little over seven thousand square feet. Holy cow. panoramic! So that's yeah. the biggest single kind of painting that I have done myself and, it, and it's gone now right i mean that it stayed with the building it's in it's so it's like buried into the walls right yeah so they built the walls around it and that's, that's this thing that's kind of become a weird um like a motif for me i guess somehow like uh the these like physical time capsules you know um murals and spaces that are being like um kind of sealed away the same thing with the king street station one of the first um, murals that I painted after coming back from Trinidad. It was a um, it was a picture of the students at at Fabitat from a drawing class. So I painted this nine by thirteen foot mural, and um, you know it was there for two weeks. Only that's only supposed to be two weeks long. You know, as a graffiti painter and stuff, you, you get comfortable with that. There's some temp- yeah, exactly. It's I get temp- that. You know, it's over. It's okay. Paint over it. Nobody would paint over it. Mm. Um, next month, next month, next month. It sticks around. And then, you know, in December, same year that color, same month that colored happened, we lost our space. We lost the old Fabitat. So that painting became like kind of sacred in a way. And now it's like King Street Station, same thing. Um, they they sealed it into the wall. Wow. So, you know, who knows when that's going to get demolished and read or maybe someday uncovered. they'll they'll uncover it and the and be like we found the work of a of a ancient master <laughs> lord knows right? <laughs> you have a, another piece in seattle at the sculpture garden isn't that right a, yeah, a public art piece it uh, was a temporary one oh, yeah. temporary okay it was uh at the, yeah the sculpture garden it was a um, stereoscopic view master so i don't know how to do these things when i'm doing them like i just call you know this uh lighting engineer um, Ned Nestorovic. I just Google like 
you know, light engineer. I think that's the person who can help me make these images. Sure. And I called him and he was like, you want to do what? <laughs> He's like, uh, well, sure, I can help you with that. And so he helped me design the lenses for like a basically an oversized Viewmaster. And um, and inside of it, I put um, images from the different bodies of water around Tacoma. And I was thinking about, you know, just displacement, how we're in this another cycle of kind of forced migration for black folks. And you look at the way the Hilltop neighborhood is being, you know, mm-hmm. um, fractured and displaced and, um, but a lot of people don't realize actually in Tacoma, you know, so, so much of the folks in the Hilltop that, that came from East side, you know, and there's this intergenerational, um, kind of, um, connections between the neighborhoods. But I was thinking about how black folks have been moved ar- around from, from East side, you know, the, 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 the demolition of, of, um, you know, the neighborhood that's located where Tacoma Dome is now, you know, um, and just looking at throughout every layer, you know, there's another community that's been pushed from one place to another. So that Viewmaster project was like a way for me to think about the cycle of migration and like looking at how, you know, north, south, east, west in the city, but also on the on the continental level, how black folks have been moved around everywhere and now are moving back to the south. So like, what does it mean to think about building home in a cycle where that forced migration is taking a full circle, yeah. you know, and people getting people moving back to the South and, you know, to communities that don't have, you know, healthcare infrastructure that don't have, um, you know, they just, it's really rough. It's really, really rough. I mean, the, the election, you know, in Georgia that I think that really pointed back to how serious that that struggle is, you know, for people's you know civic empowerment, right? And and in communities in the South, in the in the legacy of segregation, really, um, and and Jim Crow still being per- persisting so heavily. So I um, so for me, thinking about those cycles has been important. And what does it look like for us to collaborate across generations? I guess is something that I wonder. Yeah, and the the piece. Uh... It looked like a like a set of binoculars that you would see on the dock, you know, looking out, uh, you know, like like a tourist might come up to and put a quarter in. But when you actually got close, it was a, a viewmaster. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. That's very cool. <laughs> well, um, is there any other like f- particularly favorite piece of public art that that uh, you've done? You'd want to just say something about? Oh my gosh, the um, the basketball court is the one that's sticking out. What's I mean, that? we were just there last night um, at Bay Terrace neighborhood. So there's uh, this um, affordable housing community on the corner of 25th and G Street downtown on the edge of Hilltop, and um, uh, you know, a few years ago, Tacoma Housing Authority asked Kenji Stoll and I to figure out, you know, what do the young people in this neighborhood want to see, you know, in the future, you know, of their of their community. And so we we asked folks, and they're like, we want a basketball court. We want a real basketball court. We want a basketball court. And we're like, that sounds interesting. Housing authorities, absolutely not. You know, for what, one reason or another, they just were convinced that, you know, it's weird. They're like, design something for the youth, but at the same time, we're scared of young people. Right. So <laughs> we figure that out, <laughs> you know? And um, so, but we did a bunch of research and not only, you know, there was some kids from Bay Terrace had actually built their own basketball court on this gravel lot where you couldn't even really bounce the ball, you know, because it wasn't like fully concrete. 
Um, but it was the only like play structure that they were actually like playing on. And there was a bunch of teenagers that used it, you know, on a daily basis. So we're thinking about this and thinking about, um, you know, one of the other things the kids said was that they wanted more light to feel safer at night. So um, Kenji and I thought about what if we used light as like a sculptural material and propose like a basketball court as our artwork that has these LED lights embedded in it and kids get to um, change the color schemes, you know, and the, the, the basketball season is like the darker season of the right. year, you know? So um, they get to press these different buttons and change the colors and really shape the whole atmosphere of the environment and the backboard lights up. And so all these things are happening and we, we decided to call it home court, you know, as a way to think about, you know, how young people come together um, as well as a way to think about, just the overall housing crisis and how, um, you know, youth of color are being relegated to spaces that really don't honor and support their 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 life. So we want to create a place that has like, you know, uh, maybe it sounds cheesy, but like a home court advantage for them, you know. And it, was, it, it is cheesy, but I like it a lot. <laughs> like, you know, cheesy work sometimes. Yes, exactly. Like, last night we got to talk with um, some of the youth there. It was so awesome to hear their stories about um, about using the court and, um, you know, it's been a couple of years now. People have recorded, you know, music videos there. Um, is it a functional basketball court? Yeah, it's a basketball court. With it's L- a, LED lights and that people can control. and All around the perimeter. So the lights are like embedded in these terraces um, that are like um, turf, like astroturf. And then the court has this really vibrant, um, uh, you know, it's like a blue and purple tiger print stripes, um, crazy colors, and it's illuminated, you know, um, with all sorts of different moving lights. And it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. You have the most, I've, it's kind of, this is in a way, this is the first kind of like, well, this is another thing kind of putting on blast a little bit, but pretty much we made it and didn't really tell much of anybody about it because we wanted the youth there to be able to like, it just to be grassroots, how it grew. And so they, you know, they tell us now, like in the summertime, it gets really competitive. Like there's a bunch of people from all over the city um, and mostly black folks who um, go to that place and play there. Cause it really is like the coolest court. It it sounds like the coolest (laughs) court. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, in the winter months and other times of year, it's not as competitive. It's like, you know, more relaxed and people hang out and it's, it has, it has some, you know, some, what do you call them? Community gardens around the sides okay. of it and stuff. It's a pretty, you would never expect it where it, you would, you know, it catches you by surprise. You can't see it from the street. Yeah. You have to kind of be inside the neighborhood to to know where it's at. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to go check that out. <laughs> Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some of your current projects. Yeah. How do you balance changing the world with paying bills? Thanks to a new program at Pacific Lutheran University, you may not have to. Let me tell you about the PLU Pledge. Here's the pledge PLU makes to new undergraduate students. If, after you graduate, you have a full-time job and you make less than $40,000 per year, PLU will help you make your student loan payments. Got that? If you want to pursue your passion in, let's say, music, or you want to fight to make the world a better place through nonprofit work, but your paycheck just isn't where it needs to be yet, PLU will step in and help. It's one way that PLU invests in its students. 
even after they've left the campus. And one of the many ways PLU works to be accessible and affordable for all students. Check out plu.edu slash pledge to learn more because student debt shouldn't stand in the way of following your passion. Okay, we are back with Chris Paul Jordan talking about uh, art in Tacoma and some of the projects that you've been doing, not only in Tacoma, but elsewhere. Uh, We heard about some cool things in Seattle and elsewhere. Um, I want to ask you about, and I I, kind of know some of these answers because I'm on the Metro Parks Board of Tacoma, so so I've heard some of this, but uh, (laughs) I think the work that you're doing with the now-opened Eastside Community Center is really, really cool because one of the things that that happened there that, that hasn't really happened in a lot of places is like bringing in the community, turning people into artists in a way that they haven't been before. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to talk about just like the public art that, that you were working on at Eastside and how you brought in the community for that? Honestly, all thanks um, to, to Shalisa Hayes really for starting, the, getting the groundwork in the project where community involvement is shaping the space the entire way through. You know, that was something completely unprecedented for us where it's like, we're public artists and we're coming in to do community engagement. And that's been the culture of the development for the entire time. We're not like fighting against the, you know, against the, what do you call it? Current? <laughs> that works. We're not going upstream on this. We're like, <laughs> actually, people are supporting us to do community engagement. It was awesome. And... um and, you know, I think one of the big things, though, you look at the art scene in Tacoma, right? You look even at something like the studio tours, for example, you know, for Tacoma Arts Month, and you see how heavily loaded that that support or that space or that those practices are in, like, you know, um, Central and North Tacoma and very few studio tour, if, if any, studio tour destinations of artists, you know, um, on the east side. And um, and then you look at the grant opportunities and where are those landing or where the organizations are that are getting funds. You know, there's this, this huge disproportion in terms of the kinds of opportunities that are exist for artists in the east side versus, you know, s- central and north part of the city. And so we wanted to kind of combat that and think about how could the east side community center be a cultural hub that honors and supports and meets the the local artists in that community where they're at and supports folks who have roots in that neighborhood. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, I think we were proposing some things that are kind of unprecedented for the city in the sense of like, yeah, you know, we're, we're looking specifically for, you know, prioritizing artists of color with roots in this neighborhood yep. and using that as a very serious criteria for how we cultivate opportunities. But not only that, but actually just like, you know, we're, we're picking out art opportunities for the art plan. And in our budget, we're going to put, you know, um, you know, you know, $20,000 into a, tr- uh, you know, a training program for folks around public artwork, you know? So um, the idea that the the funds went to things that were not just, you know, fixed, okay, we're going to commission the sculpture from you and this painting from you, right. but we're actually able to turn this fund funding into opportunities for people to um, to be able to qualify for, for, um, for other opportunities that go beyond the project. It was like, it was really, it was really incredible. And then seeing the things that people did, like, you know, um, Dion Thomas's 444 project, you know, um, he took these, um, crazy like tile patterns and plastered it onto the top of this like giant 44 it was almost like kind of like a hollywood sign for east side for south shan you know 
and um you know uh it just the kinds of the kinds of ideas that people had and that they're manifesting you know through their sculptures and their creative works you know um it was even just in temporary art right. was incredible um Lisa Frashanti did this um project wrapping these old growth trees with um seminole pattern patchwork you know designs and where you stand in one position and it spells out Salishan and then you stand in another position and it spells out East Side cool. and it was just like wow like you know what in the world this is such incredible and it's stuff rooted right in this neighborhood so I'm really excited now you see this center is built and you can see the influence of that local community you know how it how it's infusing through the whole space so you know hoping that um, that that that's given a spark, you know, to more people to think about how they can keep, you know, shaping their space culturally. And- yeah. And and paying artists, because one of the things that I think, <laughs> you know, so often happens with public art, and it's been the model. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad mm. model, but mm. you have 1% for the arts, like what we do with Metro Parks in the city. Right. And then, you know, we hire a, a sculpture, a sculptor, or we hire a, you know, and, and it's like a thing and you get a thing a thing right. or something like that. Yeah. But what I loved about this is <laughs> you you invited submissions from the community and everyone who like had their art in the community center got paid for it. Yeah. Like, like like we paid all of these people to for art and it's <laughs> I love it. It's yeah. so great. Like like even if it was a hundred bucks for someone, like that is yeah. so meaningful for them and, and it could spark a whole more life, you know, a lifetime of trying to keep doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I feel like, you know, the people who who do the most with the kinds of opportunities that the city has to offer for artists um, just far too often don't know that those kinds of opportunities exist, you know, Um, with agencies like Metro Parks or like Sound Transit or like the Housing Authority or the Arts Commission. So it's like every single person who, you know, is like, oh, I can get paid for this painting that I made 10 years ago about my grandparents, you know, and the communities that they migrated from, you know. Yeah, you can absolutely. And then that becomes something that multiple generations of people in Eastside get to experience. And now that person not only made a huge mark on the neighbor on the neighborhood, on the space, but they're also like an ambassador, you know, for other emerging artists and creatives who might be interested in opportunities as well. So, you know, it's, I can think specifically back to, you know, in my own story, you know, you know, we didn't think the kinds of things that we're doing today would ever have been possible. And so my hope is that, you know, with cultivating opportunities like those with the East side and, and, um, you know, everywhere we're seeing the, we're sprouting something where, you know, 15 years from now, it's just the new normal. You know what I mean? That like that diversity yeah. or representation in the arts is like not something, but it's it's actually the norm. I could I, I think that it's a model that that now that it's happened, I think I I, I can see it spreading yes. like wildfire. It, it makes so <laughs> so much sense to me, especially for a community center. Like like it just it fits Imagine so well. That. Um you do you actually have a piece at, at East Side or did you just manage the process? And with the East Side, yeah, no, Kenji and I, okay. we just um, we felt like you know it. We wanted to make sure that as much of the actual physical site and everything was shaped by folks with roots in that neighborhood, and you know that's not our experience. You know, um, you know, I, I grew up in Hilltop. And I'm very passionate about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and and so I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, as much as possible, we're supporting artists over there. And there, there's definitely no shortage of creative, you know, abilities and um, 
in in energy from that side. So so we just decided to support with the plan, and um, and um, what's been awesome to see though is how you know um, you know there was like there was like three three different artist training cohorts in Tacoma that centered around communities of color in the past in the past year. You know there was um, the the East Side training cohort. There was a public art public action cohort um, that the city of Tacoma led for like 38th Street area. And then another training program with um, uh, the Links to Opportunity Project um, for artists with roots in Hilltop. And what's been incredible is just seeing how when it comes to public art and community engagement, like um, artists from these specific underrepresented communities are, they're the next generation of folks that are really doing really transformative work and they're going from one opportunity to the next. Yeah. So just continuing to, to, to support that and create more, um, I'm interested in seeing, you know, I think the next level is really like pushing like our statewide agencies and their focus on Tacoma and really, um, aggressively making sure that, okay, we see this many artists getting grants in King County, like if you're a statewide agency, well, let's make sure that we see that support for artists in Pierce County. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're, so I'm definitely like, <laughs> yep, yep, I get it. <laughs> I'm definitely, you know, uh, advocating and, um, and pushing things around. And, um, and, uh, because for me, I, I feel like, you know, I, but I can, you know, it's a conception of community wealth, you know, the, the only, the, my, my personal potential is tied in with the opportunities that exist for the, my whole community. It's an ecosystem. It's it's sure. all together. So yeah. I can't, there's no way that I can personally succeed without seeing all of the folks around my community succeed and seeing how we can support one another. So I think Tacoma is becoming that like cultural epicenter of the Northwest, really. Like I think it really has, um, you know, a mixture of qualities that allow us to take that, to take that stance Um, and it's really about how we, um, get really aggressive, you know, and, and, and stop taking no for an answer. (laughs) I I like hearing that. I really do. That sounds pretty great to me. Uh, you also have another project coming up that I want to make sure we touch on. You were involved, uh, with a a film called Alternate Endings Activist Risings, Mm. and that is related to World AIDS Day where it will be, Uh, in New York, but it'll also be here in Tacoma at the Grand. Do you want to share oh about your role in the film Such or what the a, film is? Let's start with what the film is. The, well, okay, so yeah, our film is this really short. So there, the, um, Alternate Endings is this program that Visual Aids created um, back in 2014, I want to say. Okay. And it's for Day Without Art, which is like a several decades long tradition of working with artists um, to create visibility and awareness around HIV and AIDS on World AIDS Day. Um, I think the very first day without art was like they closed down the Guggenheim Museum. They closed down like a ton of major museums and said, you know, AIDS is a priority and we cannot have, you know, art and these cultural experiences without recognizing that HIV and AIDS impacts our communities and our creative communities, especially. And so, um, so it's this long tradition, and the films have become a huge part of it. Um, Visual Aid's an incredible organization. And if you reach back to 2015, you know, Tacoma Action Collective did a dying protest at the Art Museum, right? Yep. And and you you were active in that as well. You wrote an article about uh, they had an uh, HIV, HIV AIDS exhibition that, that mm-hmm. was – how did you uh, – 
I can't remember, erased black people as I think the, the... Yeah, there just wasn't enough representation because yeah. you know, African-Americans in the U.S., people don't realize are 40% of HIV AIDS related deaths. Yeah. So you can't tell the story of HIV and AIDS without talking about systemic racism and talking about housing and all these other issues that intersect with it. And so, um, you know, we were asking the museum to change the show to get more black artists in there because out of 107, there was only like five. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it was just a kind of a, uh, we don't know, whatever. It's too late. So, yeah, it's too late. It can't be done. So that protest really helped create awareness on a national level around how the how HIV and AIDS is being historicized. Um, and kind of whitewashed. So it was like, um, so what was really surprising for us was after doing the die-in, seeing the level of support that came in from, you know, different arts organizations and, and arts-related media all across the country. Um, and it created this momentum. We ended up going to South Africa. I don't know. Wow. All this stuff, a wow, lot of wow, this stuff wow, is wow. in the movie. So let me not. Okay. <laughs> but okay. Uh, but um, I think when you see, uh, so the movie that we created is called Hashtag Stop Erasing Black People. And it's about, you know, um, using these small interventions as ways to shift the way that history is being told. Um, and it's just really remarkable to think that Tacoma can be center stage in such a large national conversation. Absolutely. Um, um, and what's really cool, you know, um, Visual AIDS as an organization, they actually created, they actually put the focus for their video program on, um, they commissioned seven black artists last year um, in response to, in direct response to our protest um, as a way to help shift the stories. And those films showed in over 115 venues around the world. Wow. And so this year um, they, they asked if we would actually contribute a film, um, but other organizations act up positive women's network, a lot of really, you know, um, powerful um, and well-rooted um, HIV awareness and activist organizations, um, grassroots orgs from around the country have films in this program. And I think it's 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 going to really shift and expand people's understanding about how the crisis is still at work and what we can do to to really um, to support people in a time where, you know, access to to um, health care is really a challenge. So um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about, you know, even this idea that, you know, you can take a, sh a small film. It's like a, when you do a film festival like that, but it's almost like a national, you know, because there's, you know, dozens of venues around the country showing the films on World AIDS Day. So I think it'll be interesting to see that that response from folks, you know, in social media and Absolutely. all over. And, and it's it's playing in New York. It's playing all around uh, the country, I saw. And it's also playing in Tacoma at the Grand, November 28th. Yes. Uh, and uh, so so people will have a chance to see it to see it here in Tacoma. How long how long is it roughly? Our our ours is only seven minutes. Oh wow! Okay. And um, <laughs> let me tell you, like editing down those interviews <laughs> to something that short was. I mean, I've made a documentary before, and this was <laughs> seven minute doc. Is a challenge. I can imagine, but um, you know, I'm I'm excited about it because I think that it allows us to look forward, you know, and look at how you know we don't we don't have to take Tacoma for granted. You know, this is a really remarkable place, and other people who come here feel it and experience it. And we're shaping conversations all across the country. So let's take pride in our community and and the kind of movements that we can spark here. You know, by thinking taking equity seriously, by taking what happens in our backyard seriously. Yeah. I like that a lot. 
Uh, I want to wrap up with a, a comment that happened. Uh, so in our very first episode, we asked uh, the artists, you know, who do you want to give a shout out to? Who's doing really good work? And uh, oh, nice. Jasmine Brown said... Kenji and Chris oh. at Fabitat and Fab Five. Uh, so you 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 already <laughs> got a shout out on this podcast. What is Fabitat and Fab Five? Oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> Fab, uh, Fab Five. You know, Fab Five's mission is empowering youth as creative leaders. You know, to inspire change in the world around them, and um, it's really this network, I would say, of young people from you know, and it was started by youth. Back in 2000, you know, who were from Parkland, Spanaway, Eastside, like, um, and they just wanted more relevant things for the community. And so, you know, in 2011, we started our first community center in, um, called Fabitat, and um, that was located on, on 13th and MLK for all, all the way to the end of 2016. So um, we are actually super excited right now to share with everyone that we're opening, we're reopening our center um, on 11th and L Street. We took over the bottom floor of the old Key Bank building. Oh, okay. And it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty wild to see. Tiffany Hammonds painted this incredible mural um, that kind of covers the portal, the entrance into the into the space, and it's it's like um, you know. We were people were nervous. Like, can we recreate it? You know, because the the old, the old Fabitat was a pretty unique space. Graffiti all over the walls. You know, you walk in, people can't really tell who runs the place because they just see a bunch of young. <laughs> you know, they just see a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'm I'm excited for for the next chapter. And um, you know, um, it was really it's been cool. I guess to bring things full circle. You know, when we when when the space closed, um, it was like. You know, it was like an end of an era, you know, back in 2016. And um, but what's been really remarkable to see is that we've been able to use um, our advocacy and 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 advocate for and fight for more art opportunities for artists of color around the city and the time since then. So now it feels like we're coming back, you know, stronger than ever before with more experience and um, and a lot of confidence about, you know, buying a building, securing our space for the future. That's all. That's a chapter that we want to go to next. That's awesome. So, um yeah it's <laughs> well best of luck to you for that project where can people find out more about fabitat um people can find out more about fabitat and fab five by going on to facebook.com slash fab five northwest uh, let me say that is f-a-b number five n-w okay yeah i'm pretty sure okay <laughs> and um and you know, uh, just keep their ear to the ground. Yeah. Because honestly, I feel like it will be hard to miss. <laughs> Good. Good. Do you want to give a shout out? Uh, here's the question. Mm. Who is doing great work in Tacoma that you really respect? And you just want, it could be an organization, could be an individual, anyone that you just want to give give a, a call out to. Number one, Tiffany Hammonds. Mind-blowing all the time. Incredible muralist. Um, really remarkable young person that is just... Um, Always, you know, one thing, see, you're getting me talking for a long time. (laughs) Colored would not have happened without Tiffany. Okay. Tiffany created, I think, the greatest art show Tacoma has ever seen inside of the old Allen Renaissance in the basement. She did this show. Where? Which which building? Right, exactly. Um, uh, The old Allen Renaissance building is like... Um, located across the street from Quickie Two Restaurant. Okay, it's a big tan building that looks vacant, and 
um, she turned the basement into this remarkable like cultural experience that like I will never forget. Wow. Um, Tiffany brought together such a unique um, group of people, and she constantly inspires me. Um, so Tiffany, um, thank you for everything that you do, and I'm so excited about what this next chapter is going to be like for you. That's pretty great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thanks if people want to find you, where would they find you? Uh, Instagram. Instagram. It's super easy. Yeah. C. Paul Jordan. Okay. At Instagram. Okay. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> okay. Well, I got to say that, as I said at the beginning, it was inspiring and uh, I have to go see that basketball court. Yeah. I saw pictures of it while he was talking. We did not oversell this man. Okay. <laughs> Uh, some of the things uh, we like to do at the end, we just talk about anything that we've seen or done recently in the arts world. Uh, I will mention I went to see uh, Widows, the new Steve McQueen movie um, that is part heist, part uh, so, you know, like it, it was an amazing, amazing film. Uh, it's got all the good reviews and they're all well deserved. I'm old enough that when you say Steve McQueen, you know, I know I'm, you're, I'm, you're I'm, thinking about the <laughs> bullet and the great cars, escape. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, I see that coming up, there's going to be a flamenco performance at Fawcett Hall at Alma Mater on November 27th, 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. Get your tickets. Um, by the looks of it, um, I've seen some flamenco. It's exciting. It's sexy. It's And when done correctly is is is, is awesome musicianship and, and, and performance. So, And, of course, don't forget uh, his movie – Alternate Endings, Activist Rising at the Grand, November 28th. Okay, we'll see you soon, Doug. Bye. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.